Good morning, everyone. Am I on? Oh, there we go. That sounds, listen to that. That's amazing. I uh, had a lot of fun yesterday. We had, as a way of connecting with our community, we did uh, the trunk or treat with the city of Fort Saskatchewan. And I don't know, I don't want to exaggerate, but if we had 1,400 kids come through, I think that would be a very safe estimate. We certainly gave away about 5,000 pieces of candy. Um, and I didn't eat more than 1,000 of them myself, so, <laughs> so you, can't, you can't use that against me. What was really great about it, it was, I'm guessing about 3,000 people came through in three hours. And it was just a chance for us to just be present in the community. And I know that it's, you know, some people don't feel the same way about Halloween, and it's a pretty controversial one within, within the church, and I think that's fair, and, I, and I'm not going to try and engage that, and I certainly don't want anyone to feel like they're being pressured into something they're not comfortable with. But yesterday was mission. It was just a chance to be where people are. And I think increasingly as a church, we're being called to do that. Because people aren't coming through our doors. They're not just going to wander in to our websites and see our streams. Um, they're not terribly interested in the really bad preaching that I do week after week. There's, there's ways to connect with them, and we need to learn how to do that. And that is in the, the ways that we connect in, in, in our connection to the community like yesterday. I had for the last three weeks with the denomination a series of workshops that were pastors were going through, talking about polarizing conversations and the challenge that we have in our community and in our society, where right now we are deeply polarized. And it doesn't matter where you stand on the spectrum of the many issues that exist within our community. You're triggered by the, the reaction of the other. And as we go on in, the, in this continued restrictions, lockdowns, requirements, being pressed and pressured in ways that you're not comfortable with, your ability to maintain that sense of calm is decreasing continuously to the point where your emotions are on a trigger's edge. And all it takes is somebody saying something or doing something, and you are instantly in that place of fight or flight. And so this morning, I want to do what all good orators do when faced with these type of conflicts, talking to a people that are on the edge and, and struggling with issues that are so far outside of our control that we simply don't know what to do. Today, I want to talk about elephants. <laughs> I'm, on the, I'm in the spotlight all of a sudden. Today, I want to talk about elephants, because elephants are awesome. Now, if you've never had a chance to go see elephants, and you get a chance to go see elephants, and I'm not talking about going to the zoo. I'm talking about seeing them in, in their environment. Karen and I have had the opportunity to be from you know, me to Karen away from elephants. It is awesome and it is freaky. Them big creatures, they huge. And one of the things I'll tell you about elephants, they go where they wanna go, 
They do what they want to do, and there isn't anything we puny human beings can do about it. Not without getting violent. They're just amazing creatures. Sitting in the vehicle, watching them wander through the Serengeti, it was a moment for me, even more so than seeing the lions, because lions actually are boring. They just sleep during the day. So you want to go out there and poke them. Karen wouldn't let me. But elephants, they're majestic, and they're powerful, and they move through the grass, and they eat, and they come together in a pack, and you can't help but sit there and be in awe of a creator God that would make such magnificent, magnificent beings. Jonathan Haidt developed a psychological model, and it's a behavioral change model that is rooted in this idea that we all have a rider, an elephant, and a path. The rider is our logical mind. It's the ability for us to discuss and reason and relate to one another in conversation. So when I say to you, how are you feeling? You're probably going to look up and to the left, and it's your rider that's thinking about where you're at and processing your emotions. And then you can respond to me, and you can say, I'm this or I'm that. The elephant, the beautiful, majestic, powerful creature that exists in each and every one of us is our emotions. And our emotions are the things that guide us. God gave us these emotions. They've allowed us to navigate the realities of life. When I'm in love, it's my elephant. When I'm angry, it's my elephant. When I'm bored, it's my elephant. Now, we also each have a path. And the path is either the journey that we're on going somewhere, or it's the journey we've come from, and it's our story. Now, elephants will go down a path, but they will only go down a path of journey towards something that they've never been to before if the rider is firmly in control. If the rider's not in control and the elephant is just running amok, it will always go down the path that's preset in our life. And this is the path that comes out of our story. It's our history. It's the good and bad events in our life. The word that's often spoken of is trauma. So if you've had a trauma event in your life, your elephant, when it is not in control by the rider, will leap down this path that is preset. Another word we use is rut. Now what's happening in our world right now is that pretty much most of us, and I would dare to say all of us, and I'm willing to say me, have had our riders bucked off and our riders are continually being bucked off by the reality in which we are living and have lived for the last almost two years. And our resiliency and our ability to remain rational, analytical, logical is decreasing because we're in this constant state of conflict and polarization. Now, the good news about all of this 
is that there's a lie in here. And we get to expose it today. See, the lie we tell ourselves, the lie that I told myself for many, many years was I am an elephant. And what I mean by that is that I am my emotions. What I feel is who I am. And that's not actually what Scripture tells us. We are not our rider either. We are all of that combined. We are this marvelous beautiful creature that God has made that can be both emotional and rational simultaneously. So that we can engage our emotions, we can feel our emotions, and we can allow our emotions to be present with others in safe and meaningful ways when our rider is firmly at the realm of control. Scripture is filled with all sorts of stories of how our emotions can get out of whack. And this morning I want to talk about Jacob and Esau. Now, the story of Jacob and Esau is a tangled one. Jacob, of course, is uh, one of those devious kind of people that can manipulate things and can get things to work in their favor. And Esau is this brazen, Bible tells us he was a red-haired kind of brunt and brute of a man. And he was known for being outdoors and outside. He was the favorite of his father. And Jacob was the softer one, kind of spent more time around the tents was cooking with his mom, and was the favorite of his mother. So you can imagine there was a lot of inter-family tension going on here. That The level of anxiety in this family was probably ratched up fairly high, and there were circumstances where favoritism probably played itself out where that elephant would simply go mad. And one of the stories that we have in Scripture, I think, really shows how Esau and his elephant were firmly and deeply connected, but Esau's rider was often nowhere to be found. In Genesis 25, there's this beautiful story where one day, while Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. Now, I can imagine that with these patterns that had developed between these two men, that Esau was probably getting awfully tired of going out and doing all of the catching of the food and all of that laborious work, going out for days, experiencing pretty extreme hunger in conditions that were extremely difficult while Jacob was back home kind of doing his nails. I don't know about you, but I probably would get a little bit frustrated about that as well. You see, Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and probably hangry. Because you're not you when you're hungry. That's what Snickers tells us. I'm starved, and it's an exclamation mark. As my seminary profs always said, pay attention to the grammar. I'm starving. And I don't think this is one of those kids have come to you, to mom, the, your son or your daughter's come to you and said, I'm starving but because they haven't eaten in an hour and a half. I'm thinking he's probably really, really hungry. Give me some of that red stew. It's a demand. His elephant is clearly on display. 
All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights to the firstborn son. This is a massive ask. A little bit of stew for basically getting everything his father owns. This would be like saying, I'll give you a bit of meat and, and you get your name struck off the will. Huge request. Isaac was wealthy. This is the most expensive bowl of stew in history being discussed right now. Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. That says a lot about Jacob when his brother's in need, and he's clear enough to be able to kind of work this. He recognizes that he's dealing with an elephant. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath there by selling all his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. And I got to tell you, losing everything my father owns for lentil stew, I don't get this. It must have been amazing lentil stew. Esau ate the meal, got up and left, and showed contempt for his rights as a firstborn. So Esau comes in, his, rider, his elephant is riderless, he's hungry, and, and I think he's really, really hungry. He's probably dealing with a bunch of conflicting emotions with respect to his brother, and his brother takes that particular moment and he takes advantage of it. But here's what's happening behind the scenes. Jacob actually showed the ability to pause. He was prepared to wait. You see, there was this pronouncement over their lives at birth, and they probably knew this, that the first and the second were going to switch. God had already said that Jacob was going to supersede his older brother. And this moment comes along, and Jacob says, I want to seize the firstborn opportunity here. You see, I think it's about trust. Jacob is trusting God, and Esau is not. And the only way we can trust, the only way that we can wait for what God has for us, is if we do not doubt the outcome. And Jacob, at no point through this process, did he ever doubt that God was on his side. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. Endurance develops strength, character, hope, and that hope leads us not to disappointment. So there's this reality that's rooted in Scripture that says if we can accept and trust and believe and maintain that hope that is in Christ, we don't have to worry when these moments become incredibly stressful. We can actually delay. You see, the contrast is between things that can be taken, managed, or controlled. And Esau is being presented here as one who takes initiative for his own life. And Jacob, not always in his story, but in this particular case, he is depending on grace and the sureness of God's promise. And he's not grasping or seizing. 
At any point through this, this time, this, this interaction, Esau could have said no. Jacob asks, Esau says yes, and suddenly the birthright switches. We're not trying to enhance Jacob as a person. He was certainly shrewd. He didn't act respectable most of his life. But in this particular case, and as the book of Hebrews tell us, tells us, Jacob is named as one who believed the promise. And Esau is used as an illustration of one who could not believe the promise and was seizing and grasping and in the face of persecution could not wait because he could not accept or believe that God had good intentions for him as well. You see, if we're going to be led into the blessing of rest and inheritance, it comes with trusting God in the midst of some of the most difficult circumstances that we could face. But those of us who do not believe the promise and are seeking an immediate satisfaction can risk falling into compromise for the sake of an easier gain. Now, when the rider kicks, is kicked off the elephant, I think underneath some of this is what's happening. The issue for us as a listening community is to take seriously enough these promises of God so that we can understand and withstand these alternate forms of satisfaction. And so when I'm in the midst of conflict, when I feel like I'm losing control, when everything feels like it's against me, can I trust the promise of God and be able to say, no, I'm not going to let my elephant go down that path again. Now when your rider's kicked off, it is really, really hard. I'm not up here saying it's easy. I am one who throughout my life has had a challenge of keeping the rider on the elephant. But Scripture has a lot to say about this. Galatians 5, and 23, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And there's no law against these things. James 1 Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Titus 2, for the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godliness, living, godliness living, sinning, uh, sinful practices, and we should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. And then 2 Timothy, Paul writes to the pastor in chapter 3, and this one sat me up. You should know this, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will only love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. And then he goes on to say, stay away from people like that. Let that sink in for a second. You see, I think it's both fair and prudent to pray that we don't fall into that trap. 
I also think it's wise to ask Jesus where we may have already fallen into that trap. I've been praying that all week. And the truth is, God has shown me some things where I have hated what is good. And I've acted in a very selfish way. And I've not been able to really see the other as an image of our loving God. We're in a time that it's not hard for us to see kind of looks like what Paul is talking about. And I think we're being called as a church to live differently and to be an example of elephants that have their riders. See, as we live out this story, we live in a reality where COVID-19 has pushed our emotions up to the level like we've not seen in generations. There's polarized conversations pretty much everywhere in our lives. And again, I'm talking to both people who kind of are aligned with me on things and people who are not aligned with me on things. We're both being triggered. And I I really want to learn how to love the other in a way that I respond like Jesus would respond. So how do we remain connected without losing control? Not about changing our opinions or our thoughts or our reasons on this. I'm not here to say you're wrong. But I want to know, can we wait? And can we live as ones who do not doubt the outcome, learn to pause and say, while we're in a polarized situation right now, and while we're in the midst of this incredible conflicted reality around us, can we both press into Jesus and maintain that brotherly, sisterly love? And can we live as examples where we can pause? Because here is the wonderful thing. I don't understand the physiology behind it, but Medical science tells us that when we've had this burst of, 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 of chemicals in our system, the fight or flight chemicals, it takes about 90 seconds for us to get our, our emotions under control again. Which means it takes about 90 seconds for your rider to climb back up on that elephant. But here's the thing about elephants. You can't just hop up on them. They're massive. The elephant's got to stop. But the wonderful thing about this is that elephants, when we can get them stopped, when we can calm ourselves down to the point where we say, yes, my emotions are running amok. Yes, I am very angry. Yes, I want to lash out. Yes, I want to tell you you're wrong. Yes, I want to run away from you because I hate conflict. Yes, I'm tired of this. And I don't want to do this anymore. And it's just easier to let my elephant run away or to make a mess of things. And if you're anything like me, and none of you are, you're way better than I am. But if you're anything like me, you've had to go back and say you're sorry. Because your emotions, your elephant has just broken things so badly. And you're stuck saying, I need to do better. Well, the beautiful thing is that God has built into us the ability to let that rider climb back on, and it takes a minute and a half. See, our rider is our guide. The elephant powers our journey. The path is this 
external reality that we're either trying to steer towards or steer away from because those ruts are often dangerous for us. Conflict can kick our riders off, but we can get back on. How do we do that? I think we need to learn to talk to elephants. See, feelings aren't facts, but they are a reality. So if we can find a way to speak to our elephant, living by faith and not being led by these emotions, learn how to speak to an elephant. It's carefully, it's clearly, it's empathetically, and it's lovingly. And there's two elephants that we need to learn to talk to. First, we need to learn to talk to our own elephant. Because it's never intended that our elephant would guide us. In fact, it's not even intended that our rider would be in control. God actually desires that we put him in control of our lives. But if we can learn to talk to our elephant, get the rider back on, the rider will then be the one that can say, I'm giving control to God. Elephants will never give control to God. Riders can. The other elephant we need to learn to speak to is the elephant of the person we're in conflict with. When there's an elephant coming at you, you need to step aside. Otherwise, it's just elephant to elephant, and that makes a huge mess. If your rider is on, you can. But it is such a difficult circumstance. That is often when your rider gets kicked off. And suddenly, you've got these two out-of-control emotional realities. Can you give it a minute and a half? Isaiah 41 says, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. So how do we live by faith? How do we actually do this? For my own journey, I think there's a few ways that this has been part of my recovery. Karen will tell you, and she's free to tell you, that when we were first dating in our first year of marriage, I was really, really angry. I was never violent per se, but I was angry. I remember one day we were having a fight and I was so angry. I picked up this hurricane lantern and I whipped it against the wall so hard the glass embedded in the drywall. And then it was there for months because I was lazy too. I'm not that guy anymore. And I'm not that man because Jesus came in and did a work in me. And so the very first thing that I think takes us from this place where our elephants are in control is to receive the gift of faith. When I accepted Jesus and gave Jesus control of my life, there was a slow process. And it was slow. But that slow process that moved me from being that angry young man into the more calm old man that I am today. And I think we're called to make it that priority, to make faith and hope in Christ the thing that drives us. We're to spur one another on in love and good deeds, and to do that we need to be in community. It doesn't matter to me if you're gathered with believers in your home or if you're here at church, although I love seeing you here. What's important to me is that you are connected to a Christ community, not just gathered doing 
you know, fun things, that is important, and friendship is a gift from God. But actually gathering in the name of Jesus Christ. Because I think we slipped. And COVID has done that to us. I do not want to shame you. I want to spur you on to love and good deeds. And so when we're in community, we do that for one another. Make time to read your Bible. It was remarkable just as reading Scripture. And early on, I didn't really know what I was reading. I didn't, it didn't make any sense. Grab a translation that you can understand and just let God's Word soak in you. It makes a difference. Care for the poor. I told you last week that I went down to Strathcona. I'm going to do that every month because I need to put myself face to face with those on the margins because it's just a reminder that my life actually is not that bad. That we pour out for others, when we care for others, in all the work that I've done around the world, when it's for the poor, I get out of my own head. There's this gift, and God's love for the poor just becomes so rooted in us, and it makes a huge difference. I don't know why, but when we feed the hungry, we get close to God. I think we're to be persistent in our belief. Make this your absolute driving goal. That first when you wake up, last when you go to bed, it is all about Jesus. And then delight in God. I was saying to the worship team, I don't know, last week, week before, somewhere along the way in the last couple of months, and it's been the last couple of months, when this last series of restrictions came in, I watched all of us, including the one in the mirror, just go. We've become increasingly anxious, increasingly agitated. I love you, but your complaints have skyrocketed in the last 60 days. Hear me, I love you, and your complaining has skyrocketed in the last 60 days. To the point where there were a couple of times I loved you because Jesus said I had to. And I mean that to be no offense. It's been hard. And I love you. But you see, when I look through Scripture and I see God's people complaining, I also see God sending them out to a desert. And I fear for us. I fear that if we keep going like this, I fear that if we keep complaining like this, I fear that if we don't stop banging our elephants into one another, we are going to get sent out to the desert because Jesus loves us so much, He'll put us there. I don't want to lead you in the desert because, you know, the people that lead the God's people in the desert end up dying there. I don't want to die in the desert, so please, let's, let's, let's not have our elephants bang into one another. My elephant is part of the problem. And so I commit to you today to pause for a minute and a half before I respond to your texts. To pause for a minute and a half before I answer your email. To pause for a minute and a half before I answer you when you come see me. Because it's not your fault that my level of anxiety is up. It's not your fault that the thing that you have a problem with a legitimate thing, is seen by me as a, another complaint. Because for you, it's the one thing. And for me, it's one of the many things. And that is not your fault. Do you hear that? 
Can you receive that from me this morning? I recommit to you as your pastor to get my rider back on my elephant. Because I think for the last couple of weeks for sure, maybe for the last month, I've been a bit of an elephant banging around. And if I've hurt anyone, please accept my apology. I will do better. Emotions are gifts from God. And they matter to Jesus. And so we get to take them to Jesus. Psalm 7 says, End the evil of those who are wicked and defend the righteous. For you look deep within the mind and heart, O righteous God. Another translation says, O righteous God, who examines thoughts and emotions. He gave them to us. And he loves us in the midst of them. But you see, I think we're to, be, to beware of our runaway emotions. And right now, I know, I've just had enough conversations to know that we are, as a body, struggling with runaway emotions right now. Proverbs tells us, a sound mind makes for a robust body, but runaway emotions corrode the bones. Emotionally, Emotional honesty see, connects us with Jesus. Jesus himself in Matthew 6 says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place so you won't be tempted to role play before God. Just be there as simply and honestly as you can manage. The focus will shift you from you to God and you will begin to sense his grace. That pause, right? Right there, Jesus is saying, give yourself that minute and a half and you will, you will experience an immense amount of grace. Unmet emotional needs can turn us away from Jesus. Jeremiah says, to an image carved from a piece of wood, they say, you are my father. To an idol chiseled from a block of stone, they say, you are my mother. I think one of the things we've experienced through COVID-19 is an increased engagement in addictions. And I think the idols that we have brought into our lives, whether physical idols or ideological idols, have pushed us further from Jesus for so many of us. It's time to burn the idols for those of us who are struggling in those ways. But emotions can also be a gateway to experiencing Jesus. Psalm 63, you satisfy me more than the richest the richest feast. I praise you with songs of joy. Verse 8, I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. See, God holds on to us. And no matter how much the storm continues to buffet us, no matter how difficult things continue to be, no matter how polarized our society is becoming, Jesus is right in the midst of that. And he's holding on to us. An emotional connection with Jesus helps us value our emotional connections with others. Elephants banging into one another don't tend to leave us feeling loving and friendly and connected. But riders riding their elephants towards a common goal, toward Jesus together, that's a posse. That's a tribe. That's a pack. 
Philippians 2, 1-2 said, Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. You see, Jesus is calling us to get our riders back on our elephant and to feed the elephants we face. It doesn't help if an elephant's coming at you to demand that that rider get back on. It doesn't work. You have to speak to the elephant, which means we have to love our neighbor. We have to love our neighbor. And it's getting harder and harder to do that. I understand. But in Jesus, we can do all things. Connor and I had lunch together the other day, and we were speaking about this. We were speaking about kind of how anxious everybody is and how hard it is to kind of get away from that because we have so much social media bombarding us. And we have so many conflicted conversations even within our own families. And we talked about kind of this idea of mindfulness that's been talked about a lot. We see this if you have an iPhone that has a mindfulness app on there. And it will tell you how many minutes of mindfulness you took today. And the world will tell you, withdraw from the crowded space, seek solitude, and engage in mindfulness. Let's go back to what Jesus just said. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father who sees everything will reward you. So long before the world discovered mindfulness, Jesus was telling his people to withdraw, seek solitude, and pray. Jesus needed self-care. Jesus needed rest. He needed peace. And he needed time with his Father. And I think we do too. And when we model Jesus, we will soon learn that we are not elephants. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us remarkable minds. You've given us the ability to see ourselves in the third person. To reflect and to imagine and to dream in ways that no other creature can. Lord, you've also given us amazing emotions. You've given us love and joy and peace. You've also given us the difficult emotions, anger, jealousy, frustration. Lord, you've given us a path. You have a plan for our lives. You love us so much, you invite us into your mission in a very specific and special way. Lord, I pray that we would give control to you. I pray, Lord, that if we are off our elephants, that you would help us to get back on. 
I pray, Lord, we would have grace for our brothers and sisters and those in our community whose elephants are running out of control. That we would help create space for calm so they can get their riders back on. Lord, help us not to judge. Help us not to provoke. Help us to be purveyors of peace. Help us to pause before we respond so that we can be like you and show love and peace. Lord, we continue in this incredibly difficult time. It is hurting, it's hurting us. And Lord, I do not want anyone to feel shame today. My elephant's been banging around. Lord, I, I just pray that we, that we would speak to one another in ways that would help us to get back in control of these runaway emotions. May we be like Jacob and wait in the confidence and the trust that you are still in control. And may we not be like Esau, demanding and desperate. I pray that for me first. Because Lord, I have not done that well. And I ask, Lord, that I would be one that can help this church embrace peace. Lord, thank you for the gift of elephants. And thank you for exposing the lie that emotions aren't facts and I am not an elephant. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.